Hello, Olive Branch. My name is Miles. Most of you won't know me, but I have cared for you for the last six or seven months. Your discipleship pastor, Justin, recruited me to help write the discussion questions in your community group guides. And it has been a joy to meet your leadership team as we're going through 1 Timothy and see them as they wrestle with the text about what kind of character does a leader need to have in the church? And we put our heads together thinking, what is, what's the best sermon that we can craft or that Greg can craft and we can join in with? And what are the best questions we can craft to train you up in godliness? And that's what this sermon is going to be about. about. It takes training to illustrate the gospel as we enter into the second week of the illustrated series. Last week, Pastor Greg talked about how the church is the gospel lived, that we are a community inspired by the gospel, and we are a family held together by knowledge and living out our faith together. This week, Paul's going to focus in directly on Timothy and say, okay, now that I've given you this mission, how are you going to accomplish it? If the, if the church is the family of God, then leaders in the church are the head of household. Leaders are meant to direct, be an example for, and inspire the rest of the body to illustrate the gospel. Now, as we focus in on leaders and what leaders are supposed to do, perhaps you might want to check out and say, well, I'm not a leader in the church. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader of a team. But maybe you are a part of a family. If you're a parent, you definitely are a leader. If you have friends, friends friendships are relationships where you both influence each other in different directions. You're a leader to your friends. Or perhaps you're a Christian and you even know any non-believers. Those people are probably watching you if they know that you're a Christian and wondering, how do you live the Christian life? You are a leader to those people. And this passage of scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16, will also tell us how do we lead if we are younger than those that we're trying to lead, if we're lower status than them? How do we be an example to them and help lead them in illustrating the gospel? And Paul, as he's sharing with Timothy, he focuses on this truth. 1 Timothy 4.8 For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. When have you trained? Have you ever learned a language for the first time? Have you ever learned a new instrument? When I hear the word training, I think of the sport of wrestling. I grew up in a wrestling family from childhood up through adult wrestling, up through adulthood. Wrestling was a part of my life. I gave blood, sweat, and tears, and even the shape of my ears to this sport. One thing I used to do when I was preparing for a tournament or a big match is I would watch inspiring sports movies to get me in the mood to achieve victory. And the thing I noticed about the best sports movies is that they usually contained two things. First, they contained some awesome speech, either from a trainer or a coach, maybe a halftime speech that says, okay, we've seen what you've done, you've trained, you've prepared, now go out and do it. A great inspiring speech. But also these movies have con contained my favorite part, which is a epic training montage, a series of clips where you see that somebody has a plan and a goal in mind, and over time they grow and they progress and they get better and better and better in their effort to achieve victory. But I've noticed that no matter how inspiring these movies were to me, no matter how inspiring a speech might be, in the real world, 
if you're inspired by a speech, you rarely achieve victory unless you actually had the real-life training montage. In the real world, victory is rarely attained just by inspiration. You need to train. In our Christian life, it might be like this. Coming to church on Sunday is kind of like being present for an epic speech or an e epic halftime speech. But really, to achieve victory, to illustrate the gospel, it requires daily training, discipline, and service of our Christian community and our community more broadly. And the victory we're after is illustrating the gospel, glorifying God, living, living Christ, and loving people into his family. And we see, as Pastor Greg has repeated this over and over throughout the series, as the leader goes, so goes the church. Sports are filled with analogies that talk about where the head goes, the body follows. If you played baseball, maybe you see, keep your eye on the ball, because if you're trying to swing and you don't look at the ball, you're going to miss it. In wrestling, we had this saying, it says, where the head goes, the body follows. And we had this simple but effective move that we called the cross face. The cross face is where you take the hard part of your wrist and you push it right against the softest part of somebody else's face. And you figure out whether they care more about their face than beating you. Because if you can turn their head, you can turn their body and achieve victory. And Paul says this, he says, okay leaders, leaders of anybody in the church, I want you to keep your head focused in the right direction. I want you to be focused in the right direction. So he says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. If you place these before the brothers and you stay focused, you will be a good servant. And these things that Paul's talking about is all the things that we have covered throughout 1 Timothy. In chapter 1, where he says, correct false teachers and teach the truth. In chapter 2, when he says, men behave this way, women behave this way, because we need to have order in the church if we're going to illustrate the gospel. In chapter 3, he says, okay, once we've got the false teachers and the gender dynamics in place, let's select some leaders based on character, because character counts and character lasts in order to lead the church. And then more specifically, what Pastor Greg said last week, he taught on avoid asceticism, avoid, avoid legalism, where you make your life with Christ about rules. Instead, promote godliness, gratitude, and holiness among your family in Christ. And Paul says, if you do this, this might be your scoreboard. This might be your touchdown. You will be a good servant. You might hear at the end of your life the words that we crave to hear as Christians that Jesus said in Matthew 25, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And that's what I want for you. I want you to share in your master's joy. And the way we do this is by serving one another. In preparing for this message, I talked to Pastor Greg and he said, yeah, in my life, the times in which I have grown the most has been when I'm serving other people. Because like, if you want to teach something, you really need to learn it. This went the same, same way for the rest of the elders and, and staff. They said, yeah, they agreed. When I, when I serve, I'm most likely to grow in my faith. So we train in godliness. Paul finishes this section. So we were in 1 Timothy 4, 6. And he finishes the section in verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, this might sound like an odd verse. Save yourself 
Like we, we don't save ourselves. Jesus saves us. That's the thing that makes our faith so distinctive from other faiths, is that it's all about God's grace. It's all about Him saving us. Paul is not saying that you can earn your way into heaven. He's saying no, but if by training and persistence you hold on to the truths of the gospel, you will be saved. And we've even seen this before. If you hold on to the other faithful, trustworthy saying in, book, in the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15 and 16, we read, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The truth is this, that in leadership you need to keep a humble attitude, always remembering that you are a sinner, that I am a sinner, and that we all need God's mercy. We all need to hold on to that truth. We need to hold on to the story that Jesus came to save us. That's what Pastor Greg was talking about last week, the mystery of godliness. So we need to watch out for the, the type of pride that might say, yeah, I saved myself. The type of pride that might lead to asceticism that we talked about last week, thinking that you can earn God's love or that your relationship with God is primarily about rules. And we also need to watch out for indifference to sin. If you are numb to your sin, if you think, oh, God just saved me so I can live however I want, that's a scary internal thought. You should be suspicious of that and you should pray to figure out what's going on in your heart. Am I really in the faith if I have indifference to sin or numbness to sin? Paul also says this, he says, you can save both yourself and your hearers. So if you train in godliness, you may be able to teach and inspire people who listen to you. That list of people we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon, you might be able to save them, point them to God's mercy, and you might also be able to save them from just a mediocre Christian life, a lazy Christian life that sees Jesus as really just a get out of hell free card. And you've got your card, I'm going to heaven, it's my passport, now I can live however I want. Paul wants Timothy to save his people from a lame Christian life. So again, I want you to remember, you are leaders, who are your hearers? Who's learning the Christian life from you? Think about your children or people at church that you might serve with or sit next to or any non-believers who know that you're a Christian. These people are your hearers and you, at least in a little way, are their leaders. And if you train in godliness, you may be able to be an example that leads them to Christ. So we prepare and we train in godliness for our own sake and for our hearers. Paul continues on, he says, Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Paul says, Timothy, make sure that the public reading of Scripture happens. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the early church, there weren't many books around. It wasn't like today where you could just download basically any version of the Bible onto your phone or there are Bibles all over the place. If you wanted to hear the Word of God, you needed to go to some place where they had the scrolls or you needed to memorize Scripture. And maybe most people didn't even know how to read. You had to hear it read. So Paul wanted to make sure, Timothy, make sure that people are hearing the Word of God. Also teach them, teach them, help bring understanding to the words that they hear and devote yourself to exhortation. Exhortation is a fancy word to say, come alongside people, help them to respond to the gospel. If they're discouraged, encourage them. If they're rebellious, rebuke them, 
turn their head back to the right way, because where the head goes, the body follows. Make sure that people hear, understand, and respond to the Word of God. That's your task as a leader. Paul also identified a potential problem for Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy is younger than a lot of people he's serving. Now, we know from history, about the time that this, this letter was written, Timothy was probably about 30 years old, which we might not think of as young. But remember, he was appointing elders. There were elders in the church that needed to lead the church. And these people might look at him and say, what does this 30-year-old kid know about leading a church? Who gives him the authority to do this? Paul says, here's how you lead if people might have that attitude towards you, if they think that you're young, or maybe if they're a position above you, maybe a higher status in society. He says, set the believers an example of Christian maturity. That's how you lead if you're younger than the person you're trying to lead, by being an example in Christian maturity. He says, be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know, in speech and conduct. He says, uh, one way we might say this is, in both word and deed, be a Christian. Not just by what you say, but what you do. Or thinking about the way we, we talk, one of the most convicting passages of Scripture for me is Ephesians 4.29, where Paul writes, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So, being a Christian in your speech is not just about avoiding a list of cuss words. It's about using your words as a tool to build people up and appoint them toward Christ. Paul also says, you know, if you're young, you can be an example in love, in faith, in purity. Be an example in love. You know, Christianity is all about God's love. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Be an example in faith. Are you a faithful person? Is Timothy somebody that you can depend on? Are you somebody that a person can de depend on, that your hearers can depend on you? Be an example in purity. And I'm thinking unmixed, you know, something, pure water is water that has nothing in it to defile it. Can somebody look at Timothy and say, yeah, that guy's clean. He's got a clean record. He doesn't have mixed motives. He's not a hypocrite. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, oh, I don't go into the church because it it's filled with so many hypocrites. Paul is saying, you know what, Timothy, train in godliness so you might be somebody that, that somebody can point to and say, that guy's not a hypocrite. That guy really believes this. That guy really has the humble attitude that Christ came to save him, to give him mercy, and now he's living out the gospel. All this reminds me of the testimony of a pastor named Napoleon Kaufman. Now, many of you might not know who Pastor Napoleon Kaufman is, but I grew up watching the Oakland Raiders running back, Napoleon Kaufman. And Napoleon told this story about how people in his locker room were ministering to him. And in particular, he watched the example of guys in his locker room as they would leave. These beautiful women would come by, basically fishing maybe for an NFL player husband. And all these guys, they would follow and ogle these women but there was one guy who would just keep his head forward, just keep walking. And Napoleon asks him, hey, what, what's up with that? And this guy says, it's the power of God. It's the power of God in me. So even though Napoleon Kaufman was probably making millions more than this guy, was a star on the team, this guy was a leader to Napoleon Kaufman through his example. So how do we train to be an example? Paul says, leaders need to train in word and doctrine and not in falsehood. 
We need to focus on word and doctrine and not on falsehood. He says this in verse 7, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. You know, often training is about abstaining from certain things. When I was a wrestler, diet was a huge part of my training regimen. I couldn't eat so many sweets, I had to budget my calories and focus on not putting the wrong things into my body. Similarly, Paul's saying, don't put the wrong things into your mind. Don't focus on irreverent and silly myths. There were false teachers coming to the church. From the Greek side of things, we had people who said, the body is evil and the spirit is good. So they would say, don't get married, don't eat foods, be all about the spirit, you know, disconnect from the body, om, or something like that. But Paul says, no, Genesis 1, God made bodies, God made food, it's all, it's all good if it's received with thankfulness. Defend from that side, focus on the truth. There were also Jewish views coming in from the other side. Jewish views that maybe said, in order to become a Christian, you must become a Jew first. Paul says, nope. Basically, the whole book of Galatians and other parts throughout the New Testament are about that. No, focus on word and doctrine. What this means for us is we need to ask ourselves, where are we really getting our ideas about God and our world? It was only just a few years ago that I realized that the idea of heaven is not just us sitting on clouds, playing harps, singing worship music all day. We're not ghosts in heaven. We're actually physical. It's resurrected bodies the same way that Jesus was resurrected. And heavens and earth is resurrected earth and sky. It's going to be physical. And I realized that I got so many of my ideas about heaven, about God, about angels from TV and movies. And it's a good advice as a leader to figure out where you're getting these ideas from and to not get distracted by irreverent and silly myths and other things. This year I noticed that I got most distracted in two main areas. First was politics. This was a rough year politically. I've got some views about how I want this nation to be run. But I realized this year that my platform, my social media platform, my conversations are not meant to make my political party great. They're meant to make Jesus great. My platform is for Jesus. Or entertainment. I love movies. I really do. I love movies. I love story. But I learned this year that if you watch all the Marvel movies from beginning to end lined up, it'd take about 50 hours to watch all the Marvel movies. If you had the shows, you're getting closer to 60, 70 hours. I also learned this year that if you sat down with the Bible and read from beginning to end, it'd take about 72 hours to read the Bible from beginning to end. It made me realize like, I, I need to figure out how I'm focusing my time because I'm pretty sure I've watched all the Marvel movies and some of them two or three times in the last year or two. Like, have I been spending enough time reading my Bible, focusing on godliness, or have I been distracted with irreverent and silly myths? This ironically reminds me of a movie that I've watched a lot, another sports movie. This sermon will be filled with sports illustrations because I was thinking about training. We might call this the Sports Illustrated Sermon. One movie that I loved was Rocky III, the third movie in the Rocky franchise when movies started to get a little bit ridiculous. In this movie, Rocky starts out as the heavyweight champion of the world, but he's been distracted. He's been distracted by the world, by the American dream. He's loving being the champ. In this movie, he loses what we call the Eye of the Tiger. Now, you may not have watched this movie, but you've probably heard the song, The Eye of the Tiger. Rocky loses the Eye of the Tiger, the hunger to see victory in his life. He loses this. His trainer even says, ah, oh, the worst thing happened to you. You got civilized. He got distracted by the American dream. And he gets beaten. He gets beaten badly. And the rest of that movie is about reclaiming the eye of the tiger. 
What I hope for you is that you don't lose the spiritual eye of the tiger. Not the eye of the tiger to crush people, but the eye of the tiger to love people and to glorify God with your life. We want to regain the spiritual eye of the tiger. And so Paul says, not just, training is not just about avoiding things, it's about focusing on things. So he says the leader needs to train in godliness, not just bodily. We need to focus on training on godliness. He writes, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. You know, our culture worships strength and beauty. We have diets, exercise, financial coaches, and Instagram influencers that we follow trying to get the bodily life that these leaders tell us to get. But Paul says, you need to focus on godliness, on worship, on devotion, which means both right belief and right action in relationship to Jesus. Last week, we talked about the mystery of godliness, the mystery of religion, and that's revealed in Jesus, in the truth of what he did for us. Godliness is about knowing, loving, and living like Jesus. Because the truth is that physical strength and beauty will fade no matter what you do but you can always grow in godliness. Our strength and beauty will fade no matter what we do, but you can always grow in godliness. This is why Paul says things like earlier in 1 Timothy, women, clothe yourself with good works. It's not that your beauty is something to be ashamed of. Your beauty was made by God, it's a gift. But if you clothe yourself in good works, that lasts much longer. Because our bodies break down, our achievements are forgotten. I don't know if any of us can remember who won the Super Bowl 10 years ago. Who won the Miss America pageant? Those achievements all fade. But training in godliness lasts forever, lasts into eternity, and it helps you this, in this life and in eternity. To bring this closer to home, you know, I look at the, the men that I know in, life, in my life, and they often train in martial arts or in wrestling, and we buy guns and security defense systems for our house. We want to try to be like Rambo and the kid from Home Alone all at once. You know, nobody's going to come into our house. We're going to defend it. But really, many more homes are torn apart by the sin that we let in than any burglar busting in the door. You know, adultery, anger, withholding love, that will kill a marriage. That will kill a family way faster than any thief thief busting in the door. Our sinful speech and conduct, our lack of love, faith, and purity, that will kill our relationships faster than any thief coming in and beating us up. So how then do we protect from spiritual intruders? By training in godliness, by developing a humble attitude, by serving one another. Basically, any intentional action that is directed at the gospel, that's directed in Jesus' direction. So even though we talked about avoiding asceticism last week, this week we see that we need to set rules for ourselves. This comes back to the thing that we talk about all the time, by reading your Bible and praying. You know, my wife tells me that she saw her dad every day walk over to this chair and spend 30 minutes in the Word. And then when he would correct her, when he would talk to her, the Word would come out of her. He would use the book of Proverbs to guide her, to rebuke her, to encourage her. The Word was... And, you know, every day he spent time in the Word, and the Word came out through the way that he parented. And really, trying to read the Bible all the time is not just about some checklist so that you can prove to people that you're a good Christian. That's not it at all. What it's really about is just doing what is necessary to know God. 
I don't really care if it's reading the Bible every day or if it's reading the Bible in big ch- a big chunk in one week, if it's listening to podcasts, if it's listening to, the ser- to sermons over and over again. I don't, I don't care specifically what you do. It's just we need to do what is necessary to know God because you can't love what you don't know. And so whatever that ends up being, set a rule for yourself so that you're doing what is necessary to know God. It's not asceticism, it's not religiosity, it's not legalism, it's worship, it's living for what you love. So in my life, examples of training that have really helped me is, especially this year, focusing on community. This year it was hard to have community groups. And so I've learned to fight to have community, even if times were tough, even if travel was tough, even if setting up the, the Zoom portal was tough, fighting for community because it's a gift. And with COVID, I realized that, man, it's a gift that's worth fighting for. Another aspect of community that's been great for me is that I have a friend that I roomed with in college who became a missionary in South Asia. And about a year ago, I I called him just to see how things are going. And as we caught up, we realized, oh, man, this is building us up. The the next week after we called and we talked, I talked about his, his missionary life, and or he talked about his missionary life. I talked about my life here trying to love, live, and share Christ the way you guys would put it. And we were encouraged by one another and realized, let's keep doing this. And so now we've developed, after a year of these phone calls, about every week we call and we ask each other questions. The num- number one question we ask, which is a really challenging question, especially at the beginning, is who did you share the gospel with this week? I don't, before these phone calls, I've, I rarely shared the gospel, but he and I are like, yeah, we're Christians. We're supposed to be sharing the good news. And so in this last year, just having conversations about who we've shared the gospel with, I've shared more than I have in the previous two years. And this isn't just to get on one another and rebuke one another. It's to celebrate when we've actually shared the gospel. We also discuss what we've been reading in the Bible. It's not usually about if you've read the Bible, but talking about, oh, what have you been wrestling with? And which character in the Bible are you relating with? What new idea has been a challenge to you? We also ask, how have you been loving your wife? How have you been loving your family? Trying to figure out, hey, what has worked on date night? What kind of questions? Where have you failed? Another convicting question is, have you wasted any time? What has been your relationship to video games, TV, to YouTube? How much time have you simply wasted going from video to video? Is there something better you could have been doing with that time? And finally, we ask each other, how have you been doing with your Timothys? Even before our church had gone through 1 Timothy, we use this analogy, you know, as a Christian, you should be pouring into somebody. Who is that? What's your relationship to your Timothys? How have you been encouraging other people and empowering them to live for Christ? Another aspect of community that's been great for me is that my wife and I have been, a good, have been good teammates. You know, we realized about a month ago that when we're at church, we spend a lot of time talking about work. And then when we're at work, we're trying to figure out how to talk about church. It's like, why can't we be more intentionally spiritual at church? And so now, about the time that sermons are wrapping up, she and I kind of look around and try to find somebody. Is there anybody that I think God might want me to go just meet? And then when I meet them, try not talking about work. Try talking about, hey, what brought you into church? Tell me about how long you've known Jesus. Are you exploring? For me, I've actually been trying to target the people who watch my son in the, in the nursery. It's like, if these people bless me by taking care of my kid, 
Why can't I bless them by figuring out what is your story? What are your prayer requests? How can I bless you as you're blessing me and my son in the nursery? And again, if, if, if any of these training techniques seem like they'd be beneficial to you, I want you to ask, are you waiting for somebody else to be your community? Or can you be the person to try and invite other people into Christian community? It might be awkward, but just go for it. This is a pretty safe place when you're at church to ask somebody, hey, do you want to be part of my intentional spiritual community? Or do you want to be prayer partners with me? My wife and I have set up a schedule, a prayer schedule, because I found I haven't been praying that much. I'll skip prayer for like three days, and then when I start praying, I have a world of prayer requests. I start thinking, God, just I pray for the whole world. And that's not totally productive, so what we've done is set up a prayer schedule. On Mondays, we pray for ourselves. On Tuesday, we pray for our families. On Wednesday, we pray for our friends. And we get wider and wider in the world until we've covered the whole world in a whole week. This prayer schedule ends up being pretty beneficial, and my prayer life has improved. It's a bit too structured. It might feel too structured, but it's something that helps me to actually do the things of God. And in the end, these are all just examples, but have you made a plan to train in godliness? Because as the saying goes, failing to plan is planning to fail. Paul continues on with Timothy. He says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. He says, we toil and strive. Look, I know that training is hard. Physical training is hard. Training in godliness is hard. And in particular, I hate that embarrassing feeling of doing something for the first time. But we need to train like we're training for victory. Try to get over that embarrassment and take the first step to do something for the first time. Be in community. Pray with somebody. Share your faith. Give it a shot. And then if it's, oh, if it's embarrassing and hard, Come back to your spiritual family and maybe somebody can encourage you, give you a hug, give you some, some tips, and we can illustrate the gospel together. We all love happy endings of a movie or a t TV show or a story where somebody does the hard thing and then receives a happy ending, receives the victory. Why can't they be you in your spiritual life? We also read in this verse that we have a hope we have hope moving forward because we follow the living God, the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Again, that's an odd, odd saying in the middle of a Christian letter, Savior of all people. Sadly, we know that as Christians, not everyone will be saved. Probably the best way to translate this word that's translated especially would be namely or meaning. So really, we say that God is the Savior of all all people, namely those who believe, or meaning those who believe. So in one sense, this should grieve us a little bit because some people are not going to come to faith. On the other hand, this should inspire us because that means salvation is open to everyone. Again, in the first century, it was a strange concept to believe that Jesus was the Savior of all peoples and not just of the Jews or not just of a specific tribe. But there's hope for everyone. There's a happy ending waiting for everyone who believes in Jesus. And you can be an example that points people to Jesus. Training is hard. And I know that it's, there's so many things that, dis, that can distract you in this world or it's, it's embarrassing to move forward. So Paul, in this letter, puts in some encouragement. He says that as you're leading, as you're being an example, leaders need to remember their gifts and their calling. Remember back to times in which you saw God working through you. He tells Timothy, 
Do not neglect the gifts you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in these things so that all may see your progress. Timothy is called to remember his gifts. Now you remember when we went through the gifted series that we defined spiritual gifts as what God does in you, beyond you, and for the church. Have you ever seen God move in your life that way? Focus on that. Remember that. Call that to memory. Recall the times in which God has been faithful to you. Paul says, do not neglect the gifts that you have. Like, skills fade if you don't practice them, even if you're a great athlete. It's why our professional athletes practice over and over and over again. Or another way to put this might be from Spider-Man, from Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility. If God has given you gifts, don't neglect them. Immerse yourself in them. And draw confidence remembering the times that God has worked in you in the past. Remember your conversion. What was it like when you came to faith? Did you receive a burst of enthusiasm in your faith? I know I did when I finally realized, oh, it's real. Jesus is really who he says he is. You remember that time? Hold on to that time. Draw confidence from your past. Do you remember any training? Has anybody ever trained you in the faith? Remember the skills that you have attained. Has anybody ever commissioned you, sent you out saying, I believe in you? Remember that. Draw confidence from that as you move toward training in godliness. And this means that you don't have to try to do something completely new. Why not work to your strengths? Why not choose your skill position? Make a plan to see so that your gifts, your particular gifts can be used. Can you make a plan to make sure that your gifts might be and there might be an opportune time for your gifts to be used in the church? Why not? Why not make a plan to work in a place that you've seen God use you in the past? And Paul says this to Timothy. He says, do all of this, all of this work, making a plan, working so that all may see your progress. Now he wants, primarily he wants the church to see his progress because he's a leader in the church and the church needs to illustrate the gospel and the leader is the head of the household. But secondarily, do this so that the whole world can see your example, can see the progress you're, you're making. This reminds me of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the verse that we get that song, This Little Light of Mine. Have you ever sung that song? I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush? Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. Train in godliness so that your light can shine, so that you can love, live, and share Christ. Now, I said at the beginning of this sermon that I use sports movies to inspire myself to achieve victory. I really want to inspire you today. Perhaps this could be your epic speech that launches you into training. And the most inspiring speech I can think of is not actually from a sports movie. It's from the movie Braveheart, a movie whose theme is every man dies but not every man really lives. All this talk of training may seem very regimented, regimented and, and stale, but really I'm trying to inspire you to really live for the gospel. And so there's this epic scene where William Wallace walks in and there's these, these men leaving the army with these excuses. The English are too many. I didn't come to fight for my earthly authorities. And William Wallace says this, you have come to fight as free men and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? He's trying to remind them of their identity. He says, will you fight? And this smart Alex soldier says, no, we will run and we will live. 
And he looks, he says, I fight and you may die, run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this to that to come back here and tell our enemies that you may take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom? It's this inspiring speech that we've heard all the time. Freedom! It gives me chills just to say it. Might be because I'm Scottish. I'm a little bit biased. But really, he's trying to call them to something greater. It's an inspiring call, but even if William Wallace wins his battle, it's just an earthly victory. It's just earthly training. Paul says, I want you to train in godliness. Train for something eternal. And so we've seen, as the leader goes, so goes the church. So watch yourself. Set an example for others so that you and them may be saved. He says, the leader needs to train in the word and doctrine, not falsehood. So avoid distractions. Keep the spiritual eye of the tiger. Don't get distracted by the American dream or whatever comes up. Keep the spiritual eye of the tiger. He says, the leader needs to train in godliness, not just bodily. So remember that physical strength and beauty, that will all eventually fade. It all eventually fails. But no matter what you do, it fails. But you can always grow in godliness. And there is eternal hope for those who believe, but only for those who believe. And you might be the only one who gets to share that with somebody. You might be the only example of a Christian they know. And if spiritual training seems intimidating to you, he says leaders need to remember their gifts and their calling. So draw confidence from what God has already done in your life. And like I said in real life, victory is rarely achieved by an inspiring speech or an inspiring sermon unless there's been a real life training montage. It all starts with training in godliness. So make a plan to be an example so together we can love, live, and share Christ to our church so that we can illustrate the gospel to the 200,000 people that we've been called around us, and eventually to the whole world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my experience with Olive Branch, for its leadership, for its community, for everybody involved. Lord, I pray that they would receive the call to illustrate the gospel, that you would put on every person's heart something specific, a specific plan that they could stick to, that they could grow, and that, that someday they could look back and see a training montage that you have been working through them. I thank you for listening to our prayers, and I pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.